We're ready when y'all are. Dean, start us the fuck off. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WICB post-game podcast. Dean Gutik alongside Alex Chipro, Tobias Abare. What a game. What a huge win for the Bombers. We're back on the road. We're back here at the Park School, 31-7. The Bombers moved to 4-0 on the season and now 1-0 in conference play. A huge win for the Bombers. Absolutely. I mean, we, t- we talked about a lot coming into this game, how this team was going to be the first tough test for the Bombers, how they- we expected this game to be a competitive game. At the end of the day, the scoreline was probably a little bit belying to the true nature of how, com- how close this game was considering 14 points up, put up on the board by the Bombers were put up by defensive turnovers um, and misplays by the Hobart Statesman. Yeah, I mean, you see the final score, 31-7 to Ithaca. I don't think, as Alex was saying, it fully reflects what happened. There were a couple points that kind of Ithaca was gifted by Hobart, and then there were also some points that Ithaca could have had taken off the board, you know, some field goals they could have had that they weren't able to get. So for the Bombers, ultimately, though, this is a huge win. We said that this was going to be, you know, Rock, you know, Brockport was their first real test. This was, you know, the biggest one so far. You have your first conference matchup, open up Liberty League, play in a hostile environment on the road, and you do that to Hobart. That sets you up perfectly for your next stretch. And you guys mentioned this. I mean, it was not only a huge win for the Bombers, they took the crowd out early. And we mentioned this on the last podcast, which I don't want to rub it in. By the way, I was the only one to pick Ithaca in that podcast. And no, you weren't. I mean, I you mean, were the only one who picked Hobart to win. We both said uh, Ithaca. Uh, 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 no, I said Ithaca. No, no, no said I'm just kidding. We I'm will just go. Kidding. Okay, I'm you kidding. better be kidding. <laughs> I, just I am get defending a my honor here. <laughs> I just wanted to get a reaction out of you guys, but. The Bombers win, get a huge win. I, I mean, this is another game, what I try to say, this is another game where it felt like the score should have been closer. We, felt, we said this for Brockport. We said this for Hobart now, and I even think we said this for Bridgewater State. However, these are all games that the Bombers still deserve to win. They were the better team. The better team won this game. And they capitalized on all the opportunities they got. Uh, passing play was a big part of their game today. Julian Dumaga, three receptions, 87 yards. You know, you mentioned the Hobart. You, you know, you look at the Hobart defense, but Dumaga made the pl- the receptions that he got were the big plays that set up a score for the Bombers. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about the passing game for Ithaca, and it was pretty much the main point of this offense. And um, you look at also, we talked about this a little bit in the Alfred episode, how we expected that um, Ithaca was sort of going to open up the playbook against Alfred, and I feel like they did. But today, we truly saw the full reps of that with a trick play touchdown today. A pass from AJ Wingfield on a screen pass to Billy Tedeschi, who then threw a forward pass to Jalen Leonard Osborne for a touchdown. And I honestly was sitting up in the stands watching the game, and I saw the trips sort of left formation that they had, and I was like, okay, this is going to be a screen pass, you know, the whole thing. And then when he threw that touchdown, I was shocked. I think everyone was shocked. I think even Hobart was a little bit taken back by that. But I mean, in terms of the formations that we saw from the Bombers today, we saw a lot of unique sets. We saw three sort of triangles stacked wide receivers off to one side with none on the other side with maybe a tight end uh, crunched up against the offensive line. But we also saw a lot of two-by-one. I think that's their favorite formation that we've seen this entire year where they have two wide receivers on one side, one on the other, and then a tight end on either side of the offensive line in order to have a little bit of variability. But I think, you know, that formation, they ran a ton of different plays out of it. They would run, you know, stretch plays, draw plays, 
quarterback runs, quarterback option plays. I mean, we saw it so much in terms of just Coach Turper opening up the playbook today to where it really helped them in terms of getting offensive production. Yeah, I mean, you talk about everything was going their way this game. Alfred was when they were starting to experiment with trick plays. This was the game where they opened the floodgates against a good team, and it feels like every game has built on the last. The first game was figuring out this team and learning as a group. Second game was picking up from that, shoring up where you needed. Third game, you know, you start building, and now this one, you open the floodgates and make everything work. Absolutely. I mean, and just going back to another trick play that I sort of saw, I think midway through the third quarter, they brought out A.J. Graham, who is someone who is listed as a quarterback on the two-deep roster. However, they line him up in the backfield as a running back on a couple of plays during a drive, and I honestly really thought that they were going to have him sort of do sort of like a Wildcat-style play or maybe another trick pass down the field. And it ended up not working out, but I sort of, I made a mental note of that. And I think going forward, perhaps that's something that we see where they bring in a second quarterback like A.J. Graham as someone in the backfield to potentially be throwing the ball downfield and potentially just opening up for Wildcat and other plays like that. And you guys mentioned that like the formations, the trick play. A little spice, a little seasoning to the offensive playbook right there. I think South Bay may have came out, would be proud, a little sprinkle some flavor on there. Uh, I, I mean, it's, you, you, I have to agree with you, Alex. It shocked me really well. Watching from the sidelines, I thought, okay, Wingfield's going to pass it. It goes into Desky, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. As you see the arm go back, it's like, oh, boy, he's about to chuck this one deep. And he was just like, he's like, you know what, whatever. Leonard Osborne is down there somewhere, and he was. A 30-yard touchdown bomb for Leonard uh, for Tedeschi. A perfect passer rating, one for one, 30, 30 yards. I, I mean, uh, QB1 in the future? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah, so, you know, setting the scene, we've talked a lot about where we were, so I kind of want to explain, because normally we're all up in the stands or for a road game we're watching on the road, but I produced the Gridiron Report. Dean over there, my fantastic game day reporter, we decided Hobart an hour away, we were all going to drive up. Dean, we now we're going to be on the field. Alex is going to be in the stands to get that atmosphere. And Dean, as soon as Tedeschi throws that touchdown pass, comes running over to me on the sidelines where I'm filming and gives me a fist bump and like, we got the shot. But also, incredible because I thought as soon as that started to play out, it's just going to be another Ithaca screen pass because they do this all the time. And then Tedeschi goes back and watching the Ithaca sideline watch that play, they were hyped up for that. That was something that they've clearly been working on and it finally paid off. I mean, I ran down thinking, like, I hope you got that because I did not expect that. I think, like, I, I, I was thinking at some point, like, I hope a cameraman was faked out or something. Like, I, I, was, I was sure it was fake. I think almost everybody at that stadium, I'm sure, Alex, you were probably faked out, too. I thought a screen was going to happen or a little short pass, but nope. Tedeschi, Tedeschi launches it and couldn't have put the ball in a better spot than that. A huge touch. I think that touchdown right there gave them so much momentum. It's like, you get this big play, the trick play works. Now your team is feeling this confidence and this energy along the sidelines as Billy. I mean, I was down there with Toby, and you could just feel it, the urgency and that, like, confidence, this, like, unmatched vibe that was coming from the Bombers' sideline. Absolutely. I mean, I did not expect, as soon as I saw that trip formation, I literally was thinking in my head, okay, this is going to be a screen to my to uh, Billy Tedeschi, and they're going to get a nice little, you know, four-yard gain out of it. When he threw that football, nobody in the entire stands expected that. I don't even think the Hobart defenders thought that that was going to happen. So it was truly so shocking to see them come out and do that. But I think we mentioned it in the Alfred episode 
you know, how they were going to open up the playbook. Turper completely opened it wide open in this game, and I absolutely love to see it. I think Turper went 50 pages deep into the playbook, and I mean, hey, gotta love some creativity here and there, especially from the Bombers today. I, I mean, that was just a thrill to watch right there. Absolutely. You know, Dean, I've said it and I've said it to you before, but creativity, and Alex, you've heard this one as well, and I'm sure everyone who's heard me say this once is fed up with me saying this, but creativity without execution is just arts and crafts. Dad, you're very welcome. I know how much you love it when I say that, but incredible job there. I mean, they actually make it pay off, and that's what makes this Ithaca team so dominant and so difficult to beat, is that you don't know what they're going to do next. I'm... Uh, first of all, I, I, ho I hope this is clipped. I love that quote right there. I, I, you can use that whenever. Um, but anywho, another thing I wanted to talk about with this the game today, field positioning, especially the special teams. They, you can, and especially you can't do this against the Bombers because they will. any good team in any sport will make you pay for mistakes just like that. The penalties, but not just the penalties, the special teams, especially the shanked punt. A few shanked punts for Hobart. Uh, 34 was their longest, you mentioned before, Toby, but 23 as their average for to for yards punted. I mean, that's just, you're, I mean, not only you're not going to win a game like that, tw only 23 yards as a on average, you are gifting the Bombers. There were so many times this game I couldn't count. We're on the sideline thinking, how many times have the Bombers started from at least around the 50-yard line? It, it was insane, and guess what happens? Field goal touchdown there was so like yeah they're gonna they're going to score off that you are gifting them such great position that they're gonna make you pay and Hobart paid for their mistakes right there you cannot shake punts especially against the Bombers granted granted there it was a little windy and there were a couple punts you know where Hobart's playing against the wind and it's easier to play when you're when the wind's behind you compared to having the wind against you but I mean the wind became a little bit of a factor but it's just most more so of a shank of a punt that just put it in great position yeah, there was one Ithaca started the the 45-yard line. You look down there, I mean, as you said, four punts. It was just a bad day on Hobart the entire way. Vincenti Leone, four punts, 95 yards, averaging 23.8 and a long of 34. That is not a good day punting. And at halftime, we were down on the field and we were watching him punting as, you know, practicing. The punts looked bad. And so the ball coming off on a tight spiral finding good distance, it was coming off almost sideways. Mm. And you could see the receiver for that Hobart had down there just kind of picking those balls up. He kind of had a tough time reading that because you don't know where the ball is going to go. And a lot of the times it either, you know, went short of where he was. And when it bounced, it bounced forward and it didn't help out the punting. And, you know, Ithaca was handed so many opportunities. There was one the Bomber started at the 50-yard line. Then you look back, you know, Ithaca College just got – so lucky in this game by bad, bad punts and just bad mistakes by Hobart special teams. I've talked a lot this year about special teams to a point where I have annoyed Alex and annoyed Dean about it. But special teams, I think, is, you know, it's so important in football. And when you can't control your special teams, you're not going to win. Hobart did not, this is not special teams that I like. This is ugly special teams. I like good special teams. Toby? How about you become the special teams coordinator? All right. <laughs> I will take the job with Hobart special teams, and I will tell them you messed up this game completely. Hobart, 
I thought you wanted me to be with Bomber. No. All right, fine. I'll take over for the Bombers. You cannot go to another Liberty League opponent. Okay, you know what? I got to help and make special teams glorious everywhere. This is my mission to the world. Toby, I am frustrated in my black suit right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just want to say that. You know, Alex... Please add. For for those of you who are listening at home, Dean today wore a completely all-black suit from head to toe and was rocking it um, today, and he looked absolutely sick. And we, we mentioned this throughout the day that on the sideline, he looked like he was John Wick on the sideline, just, just ready to take out someone uh, in the all-full-black suit, and it looked freaking fantastic. But getting back to special teams... Thank you. Absolutely. I think that um, today, Hobart definitely let up some favorable things, but also looking at Ithaca's side, I mean... Bahamundi did miss a couple kicks, especially one at the end of the second quarter going into halftime um, in the last few seconds that ultimately was uh, one that he should have made. He probably was like a 30-yard field goal or 35-yard field goal, and he should normally he makes those. And so I noted that as a factor means that that could have been a turning point in this game. Should Hobart have come out, scored a touchdown, and immediately would have been back in at 21-7. And, you know, this game could have been completely different had the defense not shown up today. Yeah, I mean, Dean and I were talking about during the end of that drive, it was the end of the first half, and Ithaca was going to be kicking it off to start the second half. So we thought, all right, Ithaca's going to play this up. They're going to drive down the field and either get a touchdown or they're going to run the clock out, take a timeout, and kick a field goal and not give any time. And that's how it looked like it was playing out. And that field goal clanged off the uprights. And even though we couldn't hear that or at least didn't notice it, it felt like there was kind of air sucked out of the Bombers' sideline. Like there was an expectation that they were going to be up 24 nothing at the half. And when they left up only 21 nothing, it felt like, all right, this could be a turning point where now Hobart's fans can start getting back into it, and all these dominoes are going to fall, where it's going to become a much closer game, and Ithaca could have some problems. They capitalized later, which was good, but in that moment, that arguably should have turned the tide of the game, and I'm kind of surprised that it didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, we talk about throughout this podcast, we've talked so much about momentum and how momentum is so key in these games. And that sort of felt like today with a missed kick that it really could have swung this game. I really thought that that was going to be the turning point. I really, going into halftime, I went down to the sidelines and talked with these guys about the game so far. And I was like, you know, Dean, maybe, you know, this is where Hobart finds himself back into this game. I, I really thought that, that was going to be a turning point. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, the missed kick was not something that played into a factor of this game. However, going forward, you look at the end of the season against RPI, against Union, against Cortland in the Cortica Jug. I mean, that those mixed kicks could very well decide a game. And, and not just that. Like, after that, I thought the life was good. I'm not going to lie. I told Toby, we're in a good spot, but at the same time, that play may catch my attention right there. They did the right thing by draining the clock and not giving them a chance. I mean, the, the bomber the, when the Bombers scored a touchdown on their dri- on one of their drives to start the game, obviously, I believe it was the second drive of the game, the, the Bombers' second drive of the game, they scored a touchdown. They took, like, what, nine minutes off the clock? I mean, they did everything. And then before that, I'm thinking, wow, they are tiring these guys out. I mean, they are doing everything, making them work, stay on the field. You miss a field goal, now you're going to give them so much momentum in that and the first few plays of Hobart's drive to open the second half, I thought, oh, boy, here we go. And then they don't convert. I mean, Toby with a great jinx right there. Good job. Saying to me on the sideline, um, Hobart is 4-for-4 four four on fourth downs. And I'm thinking, I, now I think they may go 4-5. or five. And then there's a the turnover on downs. Then next thing you know, we're like, yep, it's they're 4-5 or five now, which turned the tide. And bam, the Bombers scored right after that. All right, you know what? I can't take credit for that stat. 
That stat was provided earlier in the morning on Saturday by our second wonderful producer, Kyle DeSantis, who's also on Radio Crew. He told us Hobart 4 for 4, and that just popped into my head as that was happening. Like, oh, yeah, the Kyle. Jin- the jinx. That, that we're, we can uh, put that one on Kyle DeSantis. Yeah. Another game I want to talk about, another part of the game I want to talk about today for Ithaca is the run game. And I, th- I thought that this would be the strength of this team, and, and I still think it is. Dante Garcia came back. I'm not going to fault Dante Garcia. For those who don't know, this is his first game on the field this season. Jake Williams didn't have much of a big impact. The Bombers' run game couldn't get going. And it was concerning at one point because it's like, all right, you're one of the bigger parts of your offense is not going. Hines can't get the big run. Williams can't get the big run. Dante Garcia's are a bit rusty, which, again, completely understandable. It just – it was – I, I didn't get a nice a nice sense from that. But, again, they did their thing. But the Bombers win despite a run game, which, again, they have Rochester next, and I think the run game will we'll get some more of this later. But the run game should do, be better next week. But this week wasn't their best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we went into this game thinking that both teams were going to run the football. And for the most part, uh, Hobart held up to that bargain. They ran the football very much, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. However, for Ithaca... I honestly expected Jake Williams and Jalen Hines to go off this game. I expected them to both have 50-plus yards, you know, and having Ithaca for a team total of over 200 or 250 yards. I expected them to go off, and they did not today. I mean, you look at the stats, Jalen Hines had 11 carries for only 37 yards and a touchdown um, from about the three-yard line. However, I really truly believe that it was interesting to see because we've talked about so much this year about how good the Ithaca offensive line is and how dominant they've been. And I was looking for guys like Jake Villanueva on the offensive line to really just open up some holes, but they really weren't found. And I think it's a credit to Hobart's defense that really shut it down. Ultimately, you know, the passing game made up for it a little bit with Jalen Numaga and A.J. Wingfield. However, they definitely showed that this Ithaca running attack can definitely be stopped. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were thinking that a lot of the, you know, Hobart defense was going to come from the secondary. I mean, we were talking about Abdullah Diallo and Peterson Monesan, one of the linebackers on that crew. And he, they did have good games, but we thought that was going to force Ithaca to the ground. Yes, you had 11 people run the football. Yes, you got 153 total yards. But 153 total yards on 48 total carries wasn't necessarily your best day, an average of three yards per carry for all running backs. I mean, that is literally three yards in a cloud of dust. That Ithaca used their running game well to set up other plays. You know, A.J. Wingfield did really good scrambling when he didn't have a lot of opportunities. But Hines, Williams, Wingfield, a lot of those runs are just small setup plays. Either gain a few yards or you're down by the goal line. And one thing I noticed a lot on those goal line plays from the sidelines is it was just the Bombers. Then they turned to the run and just starting to punch it in. There was a lot of that physical punch, just get the ball over the line. And sometimes they kind of had to resort to the air. Either get it over the line or just punch it in and get a first down. But the, like I said, the Bombers run game just couldn't get going. Uh, I know we mentioned the trenches a lot, and I, I kind of ties to this. I, I don't feel like the trenches was the strength for the Bombers today. Uh, you know, And we usually talk about Pucky, Villanueva being the strength of their O-line. I thought Hobart got some decent pressure here and there. Uh, the defensive line couldn't get much pressure. It... it, it and this is, and don't get me wrong, by the way, I still think this is a good sign for Ithaca. The fact that you still win this game, you couldn't get a sack, you couldn't win the, the battle of the trenches. I thought Hobart did honestly better. And you still come away with the win on the road to start the season 4-0. and You're headed down the right path. I think Ithaca will get it together, hopefully, but 
again, the run game wasn't their sharpest, but that's okay. Not every not every game is going to be perfect. We all know this. The pass game is not going to have their it's going to have their moments. The run game is going to have their moments. But you know what great teams do? They persevere through those moments, and that's exactly what the Bombers did today. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about how, you know, Jake Villanueva and uh, Jojo Huggy were supposed to be the keys to the offensive line. I was thinking that I was going to have another offensive line segment, which I absolutely love to talk about. I love to talk about how dominating offensive lines can be. And I think they did a good job today overall. Unfortunately, you know, they didn't open up great holes in the running attack. They honestly didn't open up great holes. But I think the fact remains that A.J. Winfield, I think, only got sacked one time this entire game um, was a very good sign for them. Again, in this sort of, uh, in their pass protection and in their ability in order to, you know, protect A.J. Wingfield. And I think that's a great sign going forward because obviously those guys, their job is to protect A.J. Wingfield, and I think they did a great job of that today. Yeah, I mean, you talk one sack from Peterson, one Assam, too. We knew was going to be a big factor in this game. The O-line did well enough. They just weren't as outstanding as they normally were. Like, a lot of those holes that we normally see, I did not see those holes opening up down on the sidelines. It was a lot more of, you know... Hobart's front seven was really good at creating pressure. And there were times that Wingfield was forced to run out of the pocket and make some good throws on the run, which he did a fine job of as well. But he was just more pressured in this game. And we saw that a little bit too against Alfred, but I think this was like a real pressure. The first time he's actually kind of faced something like that. It wasn't perfect, but they got the job done, which for a game against such a team like Hobart that at one time this year was ranked and had it not been, for a loss earlier this season, they would have been ranked in this game. They did everything they needed to. Yep. I mean, well said. The Bombers still did everything they needed to do. They still came out of... The, the, my pl- the plan for the Bombers was, like I said, not only to neutralize the crowd, just win this game. I mean, we want you to win in pretty fashion. Everyone wants to win in pretty fashion. But there's one thing we want you to do, and just win these type of games. Don't matter how you do it, you just got to win, and that's exactly what they did. The Bombers came into Hobart, a hostile territory, by the way, which, again, Alex, you could speak for us after. I know you've had the fan experience. I mean, from the sideline experience, especially early, and even the tailgate vibe heading into today's game, you saw Ithaca fans, Hobart, we like, hey, this is the first time in four or five years we're heading into a territory where outside the fifth-year players, this team has not had any players play in this territory. They came in, did better than what I could, I could ask for, honestly, what any Bomber faithful can ask for. So the Bombers get the job done. But as, as like I said, from standing from the sidelines, I, it was a great experience up close, hearing a lot of the buzz from the sidelines of both teams, especially the Bombers, hearing the fans cheer as well. I know you were in there as well in the sea of blue. I mean, it was just awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about fan atmosphere. I honestly did not expect that many people to be at that game. I mean, that, this stadium was completely packed on both sides, um, on both from Ithaca and from Hobart. I mean, both sides were completely filled. I was sitting, obviously, on the Ithaca side of the stands, but I honestly think that like this was the biggest sort of Ithaca showing that I've seen so far this year, at least the loudest that I've seen. I mean, they were really getting into this game, and I think a part of that is the fact remains that it, it is Parents Weekend um, for all for both colleges, both Hobart and um, Ithaca, and I homecoming. think yeah, homecoming. You mentioned that, Dean. I mean, so many parents were at that game. I mean, I was sitting in a, just a crowd of parents who happened to have you know players who happened to be their their kids, um, and I think that they were really just getting into it. I mean, you want to talk about you know penalties and stuff. I mean, during some of the calls that, you know, were maybe a little bit questionable or stuff, 
um, were definitely, you know, parents were getting into it. They were getting super rowdy and stuff. And so I think that's just a huge part of this game. We talked about how the Hobart fans were going to be the problem, but in reality, once Ithaca put up points, they really, I didn't really hear anything from them for the, pretty much the rest of the game up until they scored their touchdown. So, I mean, the Ithaca fans were definitely out there at full force, and it was great to see that. Yeah, we saw, like, we were, when we pulled into the parking lot that we parked our car into, there was a contingency of Ithaca fans there tailgating before the game, and after the game, they were still there hanging out in lawn chairs by their cars, which, amazing to see that atmosphere. And, you know, you talk about Parents Week, and I do want to shout someone out today who is kind of an honorary fourth member of the podcast, even though he's not in studio with us. And it was Dominique Donna, our show photographer. He did an incredible magnificent job. job. Magnificent photos today. I mean, if y'all see them from the show, incredible. But I do, you know, he did such a great job there. But also, his parents came out. He was excited. And, like, also, he provided some good insight for us. So I do want to shout him out for but all his work for, you know, our show at Griddle, but also, you know, for the work that we're doing right now, right here that you're listening to. I mean, hey, we did a lot of good work today. Ice TV, radio, a little dual threat action right there. But, um,. I mean, like I said, it was just a special day today. And, you know, just walking in there, you just saw the buzz, a lot of this, like, I'm not going to even bother saying the word. A lot of of buzz in the air. I'm going to keep it as that. Um, You're trying to say emotion? No. Animosity. Oh, okay. Yes, thank you. I wasn't giving you enough credit. I didn't want to make it worse for myself, so (laughs) I was like, let me just stop myself before I make it worse. Uh, And not only just from the Hobart side, we, we were walking by. We saw the, the tailgates. The, the by the way, the barbecue smoke, which smelled good. Uh, the flags, but also the bomber. Ithaca Bombers is like a community. The the Hobart Statesman is like a community. That's why I respect for both sides. Like and both of it's kind of like a family. And we both saw that it was basically parenting weekend. The Ithaca version uh, against the homecoming version in Hobart. So it, it just felt like it was a really great weekend and a really. Great time, especially travel on a nice sunny day in Geneva, New York. You talk about the barbecue smoke. We were walking by that before the game with all our equipment. We look to our right, and what do we see but a large group of, I would say, 40 to 50, you know, 40 Hobart fans around one guy who was standing on maybe a table, maybe the bed of a truck, toasting them. Like, that isn't, like, as silly as that is, that is such a great crowd experience. That's family right because there. Because that is, yeah, as you say, that's a family. That's people who really care about that team. And that's what made it so difficult for Ithaca. And also, I do, I mean, as you said, I have to respect the Hobart fans. That is a level of dedication that you don't often see at Division Three. We see it at, you know, we see it at Butterfield sometimes with these Ithaca fans who are great. But you see it with those Hobart fans, and it just shows just how tough it was for the Bombers to go on the road, but how much this game meant for that community. Getting a big rivalry and a huge game back after five years of not having it on their campus. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned five years not having it. I mean, Dean t- talked about this this morning as before we even left Ithaca to go to this game, and it was like all of the players on this current Ithaca Bombers team roster, they had never played. Outside of the fifth-year guys. Yeah, outside yeah. of the fifth-year guys um, had never played in Geneva, New York. So, I mean, it was like it was a whole new experience, and the fact remains that the fans um, and the family members, because pretty much a lot of the fans, I'm not going to lie, in the Ithaca section from at least what I could tell sitting up there, a ton of them were parents. Like, there were not a whole lot of students that were going to that game. It was mainly parents. But my goodness, the parents were out there in full force, man. They were completely into this game. And it was just great to see. Because, I mean, it's like you talk about community, you talk about family. I mean, those guys are just there for each other. They all know each other, and they're all super close. I mean, you had so many people in terms of just the stands. You know, they were getting super rowdy. They were stomping their feet, you know, parents and all that stuff. And it was just great to sort of 
feel that atmosphere, even on the road in a hostile environment as uh, Hobart. It, it was just an unbelievable experience, and especially for all like all of us, plus Dom, to travel to Geneva. It, it was a great road trip, and it was just, like I said, a great experience. Uh, the result is greater, um, but, you know, like I said, I, I, definitely a really fun experience, and uh, for those for the future, the, uh, for Grito, for those, just anyone who wants to go to Hobart, I definitely recommend it. Not only just because, even the stadium itself is pretty nice. Um, the sta- I was very impressed with the stadium. I liked the little atmosphere as well. Uh, the media passes were also nice. I gotta, I give them. I got, I gotta give. I'm sorry. I gotta give them props for that. You know what? I actually agree with you on that. There are sometimes when you look at when you say like, oh, okay, this is like, because it's kind of something that you're putting forward, especially to people, you know, coming on the it road. It makes you feel official. Too. It makes you feel special and like, you know, you get a thing with your name, your affiliation. It just, it makes you feel good. That's all I can say. But like I said, a great experience and so thankful for this, 100. Um, percent But that bombers by bombers by a million. All right, the defense for both sides was definitely the focus for this. Uh, you got to look at the Hobart secondary, who played a pretty good game for the most part. They locked up Mikey Anderson, only two receptions on the day for Mikey Anderson. Julian Dumaga, Julian Dumaga had three receptions. Although, like I as I mentioned, those receptions were key plays for the most part. That did set up the Bombers in great position to score. I mean, I, like I said, for the most part, I'm not going to complain. Hobart secondary did all their, they could. The linebackers... They won the battle of the trenches. They stopped the run for the most part. It was just the besides dump the field position, it was also the big play. When Dumaga needed to make a big play, he was there. He, I mean, he, we, we were, he was a guy that a lot of us looked at as the breakout player and who's going to be our wide receiver too. And, again, seeing him, by the way, before I continue with this, you know, these past few weeks, he's the wide receiver too outside of Mikey, but... Again, I thought outside of his key receptions, Hobart did a really good job in the secondary, but they also did a very good job stuffing the run. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about the Hobart secondary. I would like to shout out two players, which are Blake Hansen and Diallo Abadule, who absolutely just dominated in the secondary for Hobart. They did a great job of locking up Mikey Anderson. And I noted this as I was watching up in the stands. Diallo would normally be lined up against Mikey Anderson, and then normally Blake uh, Hansen would be covering either... Dumaga or he'd be covering Klein who was also out there on the field today doing quite a lot of stuff but between switching off between Diallo and Hansen, Hobart did a great job of locking out Mikey Anderson and something else that I noticed what Hobart did to shut down Mikey Anderson was that they would oftentimes line up a linebacker like Anthony Romano up against um, in the slot against Mikey Anderson and then Anthony Romano would simply just chip uh Mikey Anderson off the line and simply just slow him down, not allow him. And then oftentimes a safety or a cornerback would be waiting over the top to sort of bracket coverage him and really just double him up to where A.J. Wingfield could never really look to to Mikey Anderson as a target today just because of how good of a job they did in bracketing him and doubling him and really just shutting him down, making sure that they that he was not going to be the guy who beat them today. Yeah, I mean, Wingfield limited 10, to, 10 for 16, 143 yards. I mean, no touchdown passes for him. The one touchdown pass came from Billy Tedeschi. But, I mean, yeah, Michael Anderson, two receptions, 10 yards. That is something no team this year has done against the Bombers. Hobart's secondary did. And we said coming into this week, Hobart's secondary was going to be a factor. And, I mean, I think we were thinking of it less as, you know, that and more of they were going to be shutting down the run game, which they absolutely did. But the pass game was really based on the big plays. And that's where Ithaca won this game. They won on the big play because the big plays 
pretty much all broke Ithaca's way, and they all were massive, and they all really turned the tide down on the sidelines. You could feel that. Absolutely. I mean, I think in terms of you talk about shutting down the run, I mean, the linebackers like Peterson, Monik Sun, and Anthony Romano were all over the field today. I was so impressed with Hobart's linebacker play between those two guys. I mean, they were flying all over the place. And you talk about tracking the football in terms of just running to the football and closing fast. Those linebackers did it perhaps the best I've ever seen in Division Three football. I mean, those guys were all over the field, shutting down the edge plays and really limiting Jake Williams and Hines to where they could not do anything today in terms of running it outside. If they were going to run it, they were going to have to run it up the middle against the teeth of that defense, which really made it tough. But they did a great job of shutting down the edge for the Ithaca Bombers today. Yeah, I, they, they've done a great job. But, like it's, but besides Hobart, I also want to focus on the Ithaca side. We mentioned Hobart's great defensive play, the Bombers' defensive play. Ben Stola was awesome today, made a lot of great plays, had a nice little slam there as well. And the homecoming for the kid, 15 minutes away from Hobart in Geneva, New York, and Waterloo, Derek Sluka, a, a huge shout-out to him, a few tackles, but also an interception. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. I said it would be nice for him to get the interception. It happens. And uh, you, you will just see afterwards a, a nice man with an all-black suit running down, not even just running, storming down the sideline. And, I mean, it was just a great moment for him. Family there as well. Uh, the return home. And we talk about Hobart homecoming. That's the Derek. That's the Derek Sluka homecoming. That's the Derek Sluka. That's the Derek Sluka game. But the defense is their part, and I look at this game as also a win for the Bombers for another reason. I give up major props to Trevor Warner, the defensive coordinator of this team. When the second, when the when the front seven couldn't get the job done, or well, not even the front seven. I'd say more so the defensive line. When they couldn't win the battle of the trenches, the linebackers did a good job, especially Stola. But, but even that secondary, that secondary stepped up today and, again, led by Derek, just a great play. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about all season long how many questions and how many concerns we all had with the secondary of this Ithaca Bombers defense, and those concerns are gone. I have no concerns with this secondary going forward. I have a little bit of questions with a few pieces, but for the majority, I think this secondary has really come into its own, and they, it was proven today. You talk about Derek Sluka who had an interception today. And, Dean, i just like to shout you out because you were you were calling for it before we even left Ithaca. You were asking for him to get an interception today so that you could interview him for the gridiron board. And sure enough, a quarter and a half into this game, he gets an interception. And as soon as he gets that pick, I'm looking over at the sidelines to a man in an all-black suit just running down the freaking sidelines. Okay, you see him running down the sidelines. I look over from my viewfinder seeing the pick. I see you coming at me. And all I can think is, oh my god. I'm about a, I, I, ran an, I think I may have ran a 4-4 on You know, that we one. always talk about Rich Eisen running the 40 at the combine in a suit. You did the exact same thing, but I think you did it in more impressively with the whole black suit. I'll, I'll do it again. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you cleared ground to get over and give me that fist pump. I think that may have been one of the fastest I've ever ran for something. Um, but in all seriousness, just really happy for the kid. A great moment for him as well, especially, like I said, 15 minutes away from Hobart. And and he's mentioned even before that, hey, I've played high school games here. I've also played high school games in town. I grew up 15 minutes away from your families here. And to get a pick right there and get a win as well, that, that's just a great moment for him. So well-deserved. But, again, I'm going to let you talk about this, Alex. Ben Stola. 
Ben Stola, I think he was 100% the best uh, secondary performer that I've seen probably this entire season. I mean, he was all over the field shutting down wide receivers all over the place. And, I mean, we highlighted uh, Rain Daramola for the Hobart uh for the Hobart Statesman, uh, as a wide receiver threat coming into this game, Stola was on him almost the entire game. And I'd like to preface this by saying, Daramola for the Hobart uh, Statesman only had one reception for 13 yards for the entire game, and he didn't get that reception until 7:17 in the fourth. I mean, Stola and Slukwa did such a great job of covering their wide receivers to where they really didn't have anything. I mean, you look at the receiving overall for this game, their number one receiver was a running back. For this game, I mean, Roshan Boswell was their number one receiver with six receptions for 73 yards, and he's their third string running back. And so, I mean, it's, you're talking about a secondary that absolutely balled out today. They were absolutely amazing, and I think they absolutely won this game for the Ithaca Bombers. Yeah, Stola, three tackles, three, ba- three breakups, and a quality hit. That is a good defensive day if I have ever seen it. He was all over the field. Everything about it, I mean, you said... Boswell being your top receiver, for the Bombers, you'll take that. If you force your opponent's top receiver to be a running back, great. You succeeded. And we saw, you know, that that defense did a great job. And, you know, I mean, Coach Warner did such an incredible job. Having that week to game plan for Hobart, I think, was so important because they were able to watch that Keystone game. And when you watch that last game, which, you know, Hobart won 66. You know, they put up 66 points on Keystone. You watch that game. There you start to see where you can make adjustments, and that's where they they won in the film room. I'm glad you mentioned Keystone, because I want to actually say this. They won the game before that 17-0 to St. John Fisher. They win this one. They, they, they score a 60, and they get a 60-burger. Teams that usually score all that in a game burn out the next game, and that is exactly what happened today. Granted, like I said, the honestly, score should have been closer than 31-7, and... Granted that the Bombers got a lot of good opportunities in field position. Even the scoop and score, which was, uh, I mean, another, by the way, we didn't touch on this earlier, but another mistake on Hobart's end. That, I mean, listen, you got to take advantage and capitalize if you're the Bombers. Get Take every opportunity you get. I'm for that. But you cannot do that if you're Hobart. Just a botched snap, but uh, again, teams that usually score that much in a game burn out the next game, and they'll make a few mistakes. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about, you know, we didn't even mention this throughout the entire show was that uh, Jason, scoop and score. Jason scoop Haber and score. had a scoop and score uh, on an errant snap. We didn't even mention that because we've had so much to talk about throughout this entire episode about just everything in this game and how amazing it was. And yet the fact remains, we completely skipped over the fact remains that Hobart had literally just an errant snap that went over the quarterback uh, Kirsten's head and uh, just got picked up by Jason Haber. So, I mean, it was like an absolutely unreal performance by them. But also, I think moving on, toward, sort of towards the end of this game, we saw a little bit, you know, of the chippiness and sort of the frustration set in for this Hobart side. It was petty. It was completely petty. Late in the game, final drive for Hobart. They're trying to score something garbage time. It's less than a minute. There's like, what was it? 14, 14 seconds. 14.7 seconds left on the clock, and they call it timeout. A timeout! <laughs> I am sitting there on the sideline. My camera battery is draining fast. We're at 12%. We are at 12%. We still have interviews and everything to get. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? This game is over. You're not scoring enough points to win this game in 14 seconds. Barring miracles, you're not doing this. This would, 
No. You would think that Nathaniel Give Hackett up. was co- you would think that Nathaniel Hackett was coaching this game. Give up at that point. Just let the clock run out. You've lost. And that there was pettiness on that side. There was after one play. There have been a couple plays in a row or at some time where helmets had flown off and guys had to go out for a play. That's, you know, just a rule in college football. Your helmet goes off, you got to sit out of play. And we heard from the Ithaca sideline, how many helmets have to fly in this game? Let like, there was, they were fed up. Let me just say this, is that the Ithaca fans were so pissed when that timeout was called. You have no idea. In the, I was honestly pretty darn afraid sitting up there, even as an Ithaca student. I mean, those parents were going absolutely insane when they called that timeout with 14.7 seconds. But those parents were also just going out... Uh, after the overall just chippiness of this Hobart team. I mean, it was like in the fourth quarter, there were so many plays. It seemed like every single play on the last couple drives were like players were getting into it, pushing and shoving after the play. And there was so much extracurricular activity. So it really felt like it was sort of just the frustration for this Hobart team was just so immense. Yeah, there were plays where I was watching it down there and watching the play wrap up, zooming out, you know, focusing on that end of the play. And I'd see guys talking over in the corner. I was thinking, okay, it's the end of a game, and like, Hobart, I get that this is a tough loss. You know, you wanted to win this one. It's homecoming. You're facing a, you know, top top 15 program at home, and you're not able to pull it out. But, oh, my goodness, y'all, the end of that game did not look very good. There was, you know, I mean, you know, definitely the Bombers were, you know, they knew they had this one wrapped up, so they were kind of taking their foot a bit off the gas so that way they weren't gassing their players before their next week. And Hobart completely came in and was like, all right, which I get driving, I get trying to make the score less. But the fact that they called a timeout with 14 seconds was incredibly petty and just shows some of just all that happened at that end. You know, I I know this is a podcast, we probably should keep this professional, but I just want to say that in the words of my professor in one of my classes, it's it's called organizational managerial behavior. That is not, that's that's some poor integral behavior on Hobart's end. And, why call a timeout when you know you're down 31 to 4? Like you know the game is over and you're not coming back unless uh, unless you have something lined up that I don't even know about, but I mean again 28 point play. Uh, like it's not like it's not 28 to 3, but but besides that a huge win for the Bombers and this will honestly lead into our next segment which is obviously the takeaways for this game. There there was a lot to take away. Uh a huge win for Ithaca again. Four and zero in the year. One and zero in Liberty League Conference play. They head to they head back home here at Jim Butterfield Stadium on the South Hill. The Bombers take on Rochester. And what does this, I mean, guys? What does this mean for the Bombers going forward? I think the biggest takeaway for me from this game is the secondary play. I mean, that was the biggest concern for me throughout the entire season was that we did not see a complete shutdown secondary game for this Ithaca Bombers squad, and I was so nervous about that coming into even like Brockport and Alfred games. I was concerned about that a little bit, but I truly feel like after this game, those concerns have been ratified. I think the takeaway is that they should have confidence now in their secondary to be able to go one-on-one against a team's top wide receivers. I think they have Stolen, and I think they have Sluka, who can absolutely just lock down in the secondary, and I think that's a huge piece moving forward. Yeah, this feels like a complete Ithaca team. There were times this year where I felt like, yeah, they're good, but there's something missing that a top 15 team should have. They are a complete team. I have seen every single side of the ball and every single position ball out at some point this year, often multiple times. I, I can't express how good it was to see a strong secondary performance, especially now you're going in to a stretch against Rochester, 
uh, St. Lawrence and Buffalo State before you get that gauntlet at the end of the year. This is exactly what you needed to see in this game. They did everything right. Yeah, and not only did they, again, I mentioned before, when the battle, the, when the trenches weren't there for us, the secondary stepped up. They took care of business against Luqua, massive homecoming for him performance. The pass game made some plays through the air, especially Dumaga, who came up big. Uh, and now, like I said, you got Rochester coming up. We still got to take a game by day, game by game. SLU, St. Lawrence University, and then Buff State afterwards, which games that they should win. It's insane. We all thought that they would go 2-2 two and 3-1. Two and three and I thought it was going to be 3-1 and one at least. They go 4-0. Oh. They, they ran the, the table in the first four games. A huge win for the Bombers. And now, stars of the game. Uh, Alex, give us your star. I think the star of the game, at least for offense, because I know we'll have our Dean Defenses player of the game coming <laughs> That's up. That's my star. <laughs> it's, a, it's the same as my star, so go ahead. I, I know that you have the same star for both, but I think an underrated star for me was Jalen Leonard Osborne. I think he was absolutely fantastic today. Obviously, got a big touchdown reception on the trick play, but just beyond that, I think he was great. As I've talked about before, I compare him really to Cordero Patterson in the NFL, and I think he showcased that today. He was lining up on the outside, catching passes, um, and also just taking a great uh, job of lining up in the backfield next to Wingfield and taking handoffs and just really getting a couple extra yards and stuff. He is so dynamic in what he can do out there on the field, so I think that was my start of the game today. Mine is Julian Damago. We said that Ithaca was winning the big plays. He set up the big plays. You know, one of those catch along of 40, 3 for 87 on the day. When Ithaca needed the big play, he was there to make the big play. All right, my star of the game and my Dean Fences defensive player of the game is, again, you know what? The homecoming, the kid from Waterloo, the kid that comes back to Geneva, New York. Derek Sluka, congrats on the interception and congrats on the win coming back home. Uh, big ups to them and give big ups for this Bombers defense. Just the Bombers in general. A massive win for the Bombers. But if I had to go, but outside of Derek, if I had to choose one outside of Derek, I mean, I have to go with Ben Stola for his performance. I thought Ben was awesome today. So Ben Stola is my star of the game, but. Dean Fence's Defensive Player of the Week is Derek Slukwa. All right, before we transition over to Rochester, we made a yes. deal. We <laughs> we made a deal, unfortunately, and you made a deal with the devil and lost. We, uh, I'm glad I lost. I mean, I'm I'm sure he's glad too. For those who don't know or whatever, in case you missed it, uh, the deal was Toby had his cowboy hat on. I had my bomber blue suit, and I said that if the bombers won this game. I will let you, and I was, and I said, and I hope that I'm wrong too, because I picked Hobart. I will let you have your two minutes. So please make these two minutes count. All right, <laughs> let it go. And three, two, one. The clock starts. So on Hobart's side, they had a quarterback, Joseph Pelletier. Joseph Pelletier comes from Gora, Maine. Now Gora, Maine is the same county I went to high school in. That's Cumberland County in Maine. That also has Portland, Maine, our biggest city. We call it the city because. No, there's no other city. Dean has left the room. All right. So about 30 minutes north, that's where I went to high school up on the highway. But I'm not from Brunswick, Maine. I only went to high school in Brunswick. I'm from a small town called Surrey, Maine. Now, for those of you who know about Surrey, Maine, congratulations. It is the tiniest town out there, about 1,000 people between Ellsworth, Blue Hill, just off the coast of Lake. You look out over the bay, you know, bay Sea Bar Harbor. So if you've been to Acadia National Park, you've seen Surrey. Now... 
going to serve a bit as the Surrey Board of Tourism here. I want to see people come to my lovely, lovely hometown. But, you know, you got Perry's Lobster Shack. Y'all should go there. He cooks his lobsters in seawater. When I lobstered for a little bit as a kid, sold my catch to Perry. Great guy, great family that still runs the place. Little, little family joint. You go down a bit, you got Pug Nuts ice cream. Incredible. Got the town landing. You can launch your kayak. I got one minute left. I got to make this count. All right, you go over to Ellsworth. You know, you got Flexit. You got uh, Manny's for Greek. You got so many good places in that area. I highly recommend you go there. Check everything out. It's so incredible. Y'all, I could rant about Maine, but now talk about Maine football. Okay, I grew up going to the University of Maine, Black Bears at Orno College. So exciting to watch those teams when they were good. They almost made a national championship game a few years ago. Lost Eastern Washington. No big problem, but you know, you got the Black Bears. You also got one of the most underrated rivalry trophies in all of college football, the Golden Musket between UMaine and UNH, and also a new one, the Lobster Pot Trophy between Hassan University and Northeastern. Northeastern plays on a blue turf, and guess where Northeastern is? It's from about Cumberland areas. You know, it's a bit further south. My time is wrapping up. Quickly wrapping it up, go to Surrey, Maine. Go to Maine. Love Maine, the main attraction, and it is at two minutes. I did it! I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to even, I'm going to say, I'm just going to get closer because I left the room. I don't even, I don't even think I want to host the rest of this episode. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I, I don't break much, but I think you made me break on air. So I got to give it to you. I try to stay serious by getting my black blazer on and getting my, trying to get my tie on. But then afterwards you went on and I'm just thinking, you know, I, I'm actually got about to break character right now. So that was the greatest two minutes of my life. Well, at least you made it count. Uh, unlike Nathaniel Hackett, but um, <laughs> moving on from that, <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I mean, for those of you who don't know, for every episode now on, we will have a segment, a Toby segment, which will be called the main attraction, which we have seen the first segment in this today's episode. However, the main attraction will be a recurring feature in the postgame podcast. I'm so happy. We all, we almost went with a different name. So goes Maine, so goes the podcast, but we decided with the main attraction. My name is Dean Gutek, and I officially disapprove of this message. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? But not, get, not to get sidetracked, now on to Rochester. Rochester comes to Ithaca, New York, the South Hill, Jim Butterfield Stadium next week, 1 p.m., 4-0 Bombers taking on Rochester, and I mean, this is, I mean, there's not much really to say, and I, I say this because, I mean, this again, we mentioned earlier, this is a game, these three games are games that Bombers should win, especially this one at home. The This is this is a game that the Bombers have to not just win, dominate. Absolutely, I mean, you know, it's not, we're not trying to be disrespectful against Rochester, but unfortunately, no. their record is 1-3, they're coming into this game on a two-game losing streak against the probably higher than 13th ranked Bombers. I'd expect them to be ranked probably around 11 by the time that this episode comes out and by the time that we get to the Rochester game. However, at the end of the day, this is a game that ultimately the Bombers should be dominating. There should not even be close. Like, we've seen blowouts this season, and this should be another one. Yeah, you talk about, I mean, against a Brockport team that Ithaca shut out 24 to nothing, they lost 3-23, to at home in Rochester, they're coming off a 31-3 loss against RPI at home. This is just not—we don't want to be disrespectful, as we've said, but this is just not—it's just not the same team. They've got really one player on offense who we're looking at and saying, okay, he can kind of make an impact, and that's on the ground. Daniel Papantonis, I want to say this right, Papantonis, he's—I mean, he's been fairly good. 
you know, 87 rushes for 742 yards. He's averaging 8.4 a carry, seven touchdowns. That's really good. You look on the other side, one touchdown from your quarterback. That now calls so much into question with five interceptions too. They're kind of a one-faceted offense. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of what the Bombers really have to do for this game, it's just shut down the running game, which I think we did not see a very dominating defensive line performance from the Bombers in this game. I expect to see a complete reversal of that in this Rochester game because those front seven guys should have a field day out there. I mean, they need to know coming into this game, you do good in your job, and this game is a cakewalk. I don't want to speak anymore after the main segment, but um, in all seriousness, I mean, like, like you said, actually, this game should be a cakewalk. And like I said, I'm not going to try and be disrespectful to Rochester. I, I'm not. I, I don't mean any bad intentions for any program. And but outside of being one three, they lost the RPI in Brockport, and Brockport's the team that the Bombers beat. I mean, this is like I said, this is a game. This is a game that you have to put away in the first half. And if you're not going to at least put away in the first half in the third quarter, this is a game where you have to just. Come out guns blazing. Come out storming out the gate. I mean, this is like I said. This is also a Rochester team that's just been struggling to start the season. And I mean, I I I just I don't know where to start for Rochester because again, this is a game where we expect the Bombers to win. And I'm sure when we do predictions later, even now, I'm sure we all have the Bombers, which we'll get to more later. But but players to watch from both sides. I think, you know, looking at the defense for Rochester, they do have a decent um, linebacking core. I mean, it's headed by Caden Cole, who has 41 tackles on the year, which is a really high number. I mean, we don't even see that from uh, Hobart. I don't think they're leading uh, tackler Anthony Romano. I think only at 36 after this game. Um, so, I mean, Caden Cole has definitely been a leader on this defense, and I think he's someone to keep an eye on. And I definitely think that he's going to be the one probably mainly tasked with trying to stop um, this rushing attack by the Bombers because I truly do expect that the Bombers are going to lean on guys like Jake Villanueva and JoJo uh, Pony, Pony in order to... Um, Pucky. Pucky, thank you. Um, in order to get back into this game and really just lean on the running game in order to win this football game. Yeah, I mean, you look at another player on their defense. You have Jordy Tawa, who has three breakups. And an interception, he's probably one of their top uh, in their secondary. He's a first-year student, too. Like, this is kind of a program that's rebuilding in some ways. They've kind of been sneaky good in the past, and this year they're just putting the pieces back together. I think Tawa, he can be a factor in this game, and I think they, they put him in the right spot he can be. But I would be hesitant to put him on Michael Anderson just because Anderson is so explosive. That's kind of a game where you lose confidence in yourself, and I don't know if he'd be able to lock him up just because I don't think he's seen anyone like Anderson. But, I mean, he's still there top secondary like this is a team that has good defenders they just don't have defenders that match up the same way as some other teams Ithaca has faced yeah I, I have to agree and even though the the Rogers do have these key guys I'd also have to say another one to watch this may be a reach but if he, if he does play again I'm gonna go Dante Garcia for one reason this was your first game and I understand struggling Hobart they stopped the run well today this is again this is your first game this season in four games I think this is a game you have to get your footing back from last year. So I think this is Dante Garcia. And not only can he, be a, he could be a good receiving back as well, he could run the ball. I think this is a game where I would watch Dante Garcia and see if he gets his footing back from last year and from the previous game and build more confidence going forward. Yeah, and I think uh, looking at a player to watch for the Ithaca side, I'm looking at Jake Williams. I mean, 
He got locked up today, only allowed 37 net rushing yards and a touchdown. I mean, I expect him to go off against this Rochester team. I'm truly looking for him to have a chip on his shoulder in this game and really to want to put the team on his back. And I think he's going to have my bold prediction for this game is that Jake Williams finishes with over 80 rushing yards and two touchdowns for the game. I'm going to go with a bit someone different. You know, I mean, it's easy to say Michael Anderson, and I think that's fair because there's no one who can really match up with Anderson on their side. We can also say Leonard Osborne because he slots so well out of the backfield, and he can be that Cordero Patterson type. I'm actually going to say Max Perry. This is the first time we've really said that, but you look what Ithaca's done against teams like Rochester. They split their halves. They have Wingfield come in and start off strong, and we saw it as well with, you know, Hobart in the fourth quarter. You bring Max Perry in. We saw it against Alfred. He started pretty much the entire second half. I actually think Max Perry could have a really big day, and especially in a year where Ithaca's kind of building his confidence, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Max Perry. I already said Dante Garcia, but Max Perry is definitely somebody that could very well have a great game. And like I said, if the game is over five, if the game is over five, my apologies, two minutes, two half. Two quarters in, if the, if the game is over by halftime or if the game is over by the third quarter, I could definitely see Perry becoming an impact player as well. So I would say, so I'm going to go, so on that, to end on that note, predictions for this game, I think this is honestly going to be like the Alfred game. I genuinely believe that. I'm going to go with the Ithaca Bombers. I think Rochester will get a field goal to begin a game. I think they get a garbage time touchdown. I'm going to go with 48-10. to 10. I think that's a very fair. I expect in this game that Ithaca's going to come back to the running game. I think they're going to lean on guys like Jake Villanueva in order to open up the edge. And I think we're going to see a very similar rushing style to see to what we saw against Bridgewater State. We talked about in the very first episode in this podcast how Jake Villanueva and some of those offensive linemen were pulling to set the edge for uh, guys like Jake Williams and Jalen Hines. And I think that we see a lot of that again in this game. And I truly think that those guys are going to have a major impact Ultimately, as my score prediction, I'm going to have to say 54-3, to the Bombers over Rochester. I mean, I think this is going to be another Bridgewater State game. I don't see it going any other way. 24-17. I can't, okay, I can't say that again because I've said that, what, three, four weeks in a row and it hasn't been right and this is not the same kind of game. As y'all were saying, this is completely different. The Bombers, their secondary looks so much better in this game. And, I, you know, Max Perry, I think, is going to come in during the start the second half just because this game's going to be out of hand by that point. But I think Ithaca's, you know, they're going to be able to get the guys through the air. I really see on offense, you know, Michael Anderson being big through the air. I see on the ground Jake Williams having a big day on their defense. I mean, Matt DeSimplis, Jason Haber, Ben Stola, they can all have those big days. Anthony Robbins, you know, Ryan Salisbury even, who has been kind of one of their, you know, secondaries who's had some struggles and has been slotted you know, kind of above his belt. And he's able to, he's kind of fared pretty well. My prediction, I think Rochester does get, you know, an early touchdown and then a late touchdown in garbage time, much like Hobart was gunning for. I don't think they get, you know, 14. I think I'm going to say 55-13 Ithaca. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to do it for the WICB post-game podcast. A great game. A big Bombers win. We'll see you for next week after the Rochester game. Dean Gutick, Tobias Abore, Alex Chapro, we'll see you next time.